This is Ever Present, an Eden Project podcast, equipping you to connect deeply with God, yourself, and others. Welcome to the Ever Present podcast. My name is Duke Rivard, uh, president of the Eden Project. I'm joined by CEO of the Eden Project, Nathan Wagner. Oh, oh, no. Oh, hey, whoa. Hey. hey. <laughs> Got to walk for a run, man. Okay. And Phil Herndon with Tin Man Ministries. Uh, really excited to have another episode around a theology of emotion. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, uh, this podcast is really about examining the interior life of a human and talking about what are we made with, what do we have existing in us that enables us to connect deeply with God, self, and others. Uh, in many ways, uh, emotion has been underdeveloped in our theology. Um, Robert Clinton, uh, who many of you might know from his, his seminal work, The Making of a Leader, was a longtime professor of leadership at Fuller Seminary, uh, he reportedly at his retirement party was asked, hey, what should the church be working on next? And Clinton said, uh, we really need a theology of emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, Emotion is, and I'm speaking for him now, but emotion is too much a feature of what it's like to be human and too little talked about oh, without a doubt. amongst Gosh, theologians well and said. the church. Yeah. Yeah. And so this podcast is, is really an attempt to start that conversation, at least in the Eden Project. Excited that you guys are here uh, to join us today. Uh, today's topic is, uh, does God have emotion? Mm. And so I, actually, that's great theology to oh, always— Phil? Does God have emotion? Uh, Yes. Okay. <laughs> We're yeah, done. We, we can wrap it up. Very good. This is a this is a micro podcast. Uh, it's been awesome. Thank you guys. Um, but it, it is good theology to start with. Who is yeah. God? Yeah, that's and right. so yeah. uh, let's kick it off that way. Um, yeah. How have people often thought about God as it relates yeah. to emotion? Uh, let's start there. Yeah, I think in my experience, most people uh, fall into two different categories. One is there's obviously the Western influence the post-Enlightenment rationalism um, of just a, a really, in a lot of ways, a disembodied anthropology um, of, hey, humans are primarily thinking creatures. We're primarily uh, rational. Um, uh, like, you, like you guys talked about in the last episode, you know, emotions are kind of like, if they, they might be real, but they're not really reliable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially when they go against the data. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in a lot of ways, I think what you see is um, a lot of Greek influence and then a lot of um, just post-Enlightenment influence to, to really think about God primarily in rationalistic terms. Mm-hmm. So this is, the, this is the God of the philosophers. It's the, uh, in some of the other language on some of our other channel podcasts, uh, God in the Brain, when we talk about a God concept that people have, they're, they're, they kind of view him as... Um, Someone who's over there to be examined, mm-hmm. um, who in a lot of ways can be, you know, a very still-faced, very uh, static-type person, where it's just like, hey, I just need the information from God that He's trying to give me, so that I can be good as a Christian and believe the right things and then do the right things. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. There's on one front, there's kind of this uh, unemotional God who's primarily mind, mm-hmm. right? But then I also see, which is super interesting, this whole other side of people who uh, experience God, especially as they read the Old Testament, primarily. Um, although, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other thing. We'll go there right now. <laughs> but but when they read the Old Testament, they see and they feel they can feel like, oh, but God 
if he does have emotion, mm-hmm. then he's like he has kind of a hairline trigger temper. Mm-hmm. He's very um, it feels like emotionally arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Like he just kind of blows up at people. And so, and it clearly, uh, we know, like, humans have emotions about that. Like, if God is like that, I have feelings about that. But he's God. So, like, I can't argue with him. (laughs) (laughs) Which means, like, he's either this disembodied mind that I'm just, I have to try to dissect to get the right information, or he's somebody who, and this is, and we know this as well, just through research, like, the primary emotional experience that people have with God is that he's angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but his anger, even though we don't, a lot of times we want to allow ourselves to experience it or to really be honest about it. Or if we do experience it, we don't, we don't feel like we can actually argue with God because he's God. So shut up, get in line <laughs> and just do the thing, right? Which, and then I'll pass it over to you, Phil, which is a horrible way of, of giving a theological foundation to people to go, hey, God is love. Mm-hmm. And people are like, yeah, I know that, but that's definitely not my experience. Yes, And uh, so I think that's, if I had to say where most people are actually starting from, does mm-hmm. God have emotion? It's one or two or both of those things like simultaneously. It's mm-hmm. so, helpful. Yeah. Coattail off what Nathan said, Duke, it, it, God either in the thinking of modern Western man, put it that way, is like, okay, God's either completely apathetic, mm-hmm. which means feelings are bad because he wants nothing to do with them, or, or God's completely reactive. Yeah. Mm. He's volatile. Yes. And mm. like, man, so what's the safest thing to do? Stick with the facts. Stick with data because, man, he's either God or God. Yeah. Like we, we tend to look, he's either shrugging or about to strike. Yep. Mm. And so we make sure we stay right in between and we attribute to God. <laughs> Even movies like E.T., Nathan, you were describing, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg created a, a limbic brain that could talk. Yeah. And the children, you know, someone named Jesus said, unless you change and become like one of these, can I inherit yeah. the kingdom of God? Point to children. Yeah. The children loved E.T., E.T. said, E.T. phone home, and millions of adults went, yeah, me too. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so we, we, children said, yes, they wanted to play with him, be with him, love on him. The adults wanted to chop him into they pieces. They wanted to dissect him. Hellenistic, Greek. Yep, yep. Wanted to chop him into pieces and dissect him and study him and analyze him and go straight up to the brain. And so that's sometimes how we say, God, we're either going to chop God up into pe- theological pieces. Yep, yep. That's good. We're going to write books about him, uh, or... We're going to cover, hover in the corner or try to be a good boy or a good girl to make sure that reactivity doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Phil, that you even brought in the childlikeness because it does seem like an honest anthropology sometimes is most clearly seen in children yeah. because they haven't learned how to hide. Right. They cover over. And so they. Elliot. Have... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. It's like, ah! <laughs> Spielberg created a silicone brain. We all went, yeah, yeah, man, yeah millions baby. of dollars later. It's crazy. <laughs> Take my money. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> So those are some negative uh, interpretations of God and emotion. What what does the scripture actually reveal yeah. about God as it relates to emotion? Yeah, I th- I mean this is where um, I, I've got a lot of healthy anger around this. One because I mean you and I both have been formally trained theologically, um, <clears throat> and uh, so much of our training was kind of that left brain rationalistic pedagogy. The 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 hey just get the right information and 
you know, exegete God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, I think, too, before the Scriptures are anything, um, they're, especially the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is Jewish meditation literature. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something ultimately to be dissected. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something to, to enter into. It's a whole other world, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is why when you're, you know, when we're talking about, you know, uh, some of the narrative of Genesis and Exodus, uh, the, the wisdom literature, the, the poetry of the Psalms, um, the, even the, prof- I mean, the, all of the prophetic material mm-hmm. is, is God as a lover chasing yes. a, an obstinate bride. Mm-hmm. I just summarized the Psalms, yes. you know, and so it's a, a lot of people miss that because we're, we're catching the tree and we're missing the forest. And so what I would say is, um, in order to really understand what the scriptures are, um, you really have to start with where they start. And unfortunately, most people start in the Hebrew Bible in Genesis 3, right? Like, God had already created, yeah, yeah, we got it, God's a creator, awesome, which again is a very Western, you know, rationalistic type, uh, ex nihilo, God created out of nothing. Um, And yet, what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 is the foundation of a creator who is creating out of love. Mm-hmm. He already exists eternally within himself in a relationship of love, a Trinitarian relationship of love. And then that what you see is it's spilling over into the material world. He's cre- he is zoning a material world to go, I long to be with my creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see God... Um, make this material world that he's making sacred space. He is uh, out of love, is shaping and forming humans out of the dirt, out of the dust of the ground, and he's animating them with his own breath. Hmm. Like, this is total familial language. It's, par- it's parenting language. It's royalty language. I mean, all of that stuff. And so before we ever get to Genesis chapter 3, we have to start and, and acknowledge that what you have in Genesis 1 and 2 is the foundation of the entire narrative, mm-hmm. the biblical narrative, mm. is a benevolent God who is love, who is, who is forming creatures in his own image. Mm. Dude, yeah. I mean, we, well, we've done podcasts on this and on another channel in the Edenverse. Go check that out. Yeah. Um, but just the, the depth of the intimacy, the involvement, the, the parental oversight, and, and even in empowerment to launch his creation yeah. out to go, you guys do this with me. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. mean, That's oh huge. my gosh. Yeah. That's huge. Like, yeah. <laughs> with. Yeah, exactly right. I love so, it. I wanna, and I want to pivot to you, Phil, because you have a, you're, you're a great theologian. You have a strong Trinitarian theology, but you've also had a lot of experience with functional anthropology, mm-hmm. working with actual humans who don't know how to get in touch with what's actually going on in their chest, mm-hmm. and what does it mean to be an image bearer? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, you, as you think about Trinitarian relationality and your functional anthropology, uh, what do we learn about the nature of God in that, even looking at ourselves, and some yes. knowledge of God and the emotional life and the interior life in that sense? Just think about, guys, think about just, just the, the topic. Talk about your story. Talk about where you grew up. Think about what all happens inside a human being just when you say that statement, mm. about how we're informed by parents, by coaches, by whomever. And when you look across Scripture, starting in Genesis 1 and yep, 2, yep. not after, starting there, this parental, and Nathan's word a while ago, this parental idea in, in, in Hosea, 
not only do you have this man chasing after an adulterous bride, which in, in and of itself is a motif of pursuit and love Absolutely. and heartache yep. and grief and wanting, at the end of that book, there's this picture of God taking little Ephraim by the mm-hmm. hands and mm-hmm. teaching him how to, to walk. walk. Like, the, how so parental beautiful. can you be? Yeah, exactly right. And so functionally speaking, it's like children have experiences when they were learning to walk literally and relationally. Yeah. Like, I'm learning to walk relationally, and what does that mean, Dad? What does it mean, Mom? What does it mean, Coach? What does it mean, whomever? And so the functional anthropology, the living out of that is, yes, we know we know over here uh, about what the facts are about God. He's creator, ex nihilo, Genesis 1 and 2. But the living out of that, this the reason I'm coattailing off with, there is a with motif yep. through Scripture foundational in the love of God yes. in which in our stories, functionally speaking, these early experiences and experiences as we go, where that with is broken mm. is where this emotional world comes in. And like when I'm not with this person who takes care of me, with this person who loves me, when they're not with me and I'm not with them— if the rupture isn't repaired, to use Allender's words, if the rupture is never repaired, then I'm walking around blindly as a survivor, yep. and my, 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 the function of my humanness then becomes, how do I survive? And we most often relegate to, I'm not going to feel these things. I'm going to find a way to figure out life. Yep. yep. And that's what happens. So I can try to control it. Uh-huh. Right? It's fear mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yes. So I, th- I think, you know, in, in talking about, hey, uh, does God have emotion? What do the scriptures say about this? I mean, obviously we started off by saying, yes, he does. <laughs> um, and, and, and so it is interesting to look at the full spectrum of the emotional life of God. You see someone who is clearly, clearly has emotion mm-hmm. and is showing up and being honest about it, mm-hmm. right? And there are, and it goes all the way from joy and gladness and, and excitement and, you know, things like that to anger, and and wrath and yes. you know um, and things that people look at and just be like, man, how do you square this? Mm-hmm. You know, as an apologist, one of the common questions that we always get is, you know, how does a loving God allow bad things to happen? Yes. How can God be loving and also be angry? Mm-hmm. Like, and so some of those things just need to get teased out. So I, I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, from you, Phil, when you look at the emotional life of God and the full spectrum of that. Like, what would you want the audience to know in regard to, you know, hey, how does all that work with God Mm -hmm. um, as we understand as image bearers, as we examine ourselves, Mm -hmm. and then go, okay, what do we see? You know, we can only only open the letter that's addressed to us, as Lewis said, which is ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we open that up and we go, okay, um, what, what, how can this help inform us about uh, the emotion that God does feel and... What do we see in the scriptures of how uh, how he's navigating that? Yeah, I'll I'll go back to the the pun intended Genesis of Eden project. Mm-hmm. The Eden project says we we say in these rooms here in Dallas, uh, here's the foundational truth about God: yep. He is love. Right, mm-hmm. right. He is love, and so all that comes from that. And so because of our humanness and our story, and then what happened in Genesis three and beyond. Uh, there are breaches all over the place around that. But we go back to that foundational idea that God is love. Then his wrath, his joy, his pursuit, his anger, his celebration, his singing over us, yep. all of those things in Scripture that come about. 
if we recognize on an emotional level, we recognize with awe, reverential fear, yeah. that everything he does and says emanates from God perfect love. Yes. Then the square up is in that statement. Therefore, what emanates from him to us comes from a perfect love. Mm-hmm. And that perfect love says, what I do and say is ultimately for my glory, which is the greatest good that could ever be. Yep. Mm. And it's also for your good, whether you can experience that now or not. And that's where people that say, oh, you can't have faith with fear is like, no, no, no. The, as scary as that statement is, okay, this is for my good. I don't see it. I'm really afraid you're not for my good, and I will trust you. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's, yeah. That's where that comes in. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know our theology doesn't get any clearer than we look at theology embodied in the person of Jesus. Yep. Yep. So the second person of the Trinity takes on flesh, dwells <laughs> among us. What see me, it, you've seen the Father. Yeah. yeah. What does it mean when we see Jesus put himself in such a vulnerable space to be rejected, to mm-hmm. be lied about, to mm-hmm. be killed, harmed, abandoned, a man of sorrow, acquainted with griefs? Like, what do we learn about a God who says, yeah, I'll totally step into that and experience everything that it is to be human yeah. uh, as a human being. What, what are we learning about God when, when we see the incarnation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, as an apologist, when people bring up the problem of evil, there are two different kinds of problems of evil. One is intellectual, where it's that, hey, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? The other one is emotional, which is primary, which is what people experience when their kid gets cancer, mm-hmm. which is what they experience when something tragic happens in their lives, which is what they, uh, just the pain of life, Right. Um, and I, I think you, you answer those differently, obviously, but the, the typical way that I have helped people or tried to help people, um, as they walk through the emotional problem of evil is just to point out the reality that God has, he's not separate from our suffering. Mm -hmm. He's not removed from it. He's not going, idiots <laughs> messed it all up you know i'm going over here until uh, y'all figure it out I like my what? back for one minute and then what to do <laughs> dad gum it what in the world <laughs> so it, it, that that's exactly not what we see in fact the first humans right they believe a false narrative about god about how their their ability to find life apart from god and because of that distorted image of god they begin to move away from him out of fear right and so when that happens there's a relational breach we're the ones who move away, right? Not God. And so when, when that happens, then uh, the Lord, instead of going, you know, like I said, get out of here, I'm done with you, instead he immediately gives them the promise, what theologians call the proto-euangelion, the, the first gospel. Like, okay, this has happened, and it's real, and we all have emotion about it, but I'm telling you, I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like... The, yeah, the snake, this chaos creature, mm-hmm. will strike his, the, the woman's son's heel, mm-hmm. but he's going to crush his head, mm-hmm. right? And so you immediately see Yahweh step in and go, I am going to be the, the beginning, the sustaining power of, and the end of the solution to this problem. Yes. Um, and that's what you see in the life of Jesus. The, the Christ <laughs> event is a long culmination of Yahweh with his people in the mud with them. Right to where he's finally and fully going. Okay, here, um, and that's why the writer of Hebrews says, "Hey, we don't have an, we don't have someone who can't identify with our weakness. We have a sympathetic high priest who suffered just like us, who was tempted like us in every way, but without sin." And so, when you're when you're addressing like, "Man, life is so hard. How could God allow this to happen?" It, 
which, which are very good questions that need to be addressed, but they always have to start, if you're going to address it from a biblical standpoint, it has to start with Jesus hanging on a tree, like a real man, nailed to a tree in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. You have to start there, because that's the reality of it. And, and so the... At the end of the day, what you see is you see a, you see Yahweh again jealously with us, going, "I'm I'm laboring with you," mm-hmm. which is total relationship, mm-hmm. right? Um, in order to bring about an, a new reality, which is what happens in the resurrection. Okay, yeah, we've been talking about Christ as God in the flesh and the clearest mm-hmm. theology we ever get, uh, particularly around an anthropology <laughs> and a theology. Um, Phil, wh- what does it mean that? And say Jesus in, in John 17 starts talking from a place of desire and emotion mm-hmm. about what he wants with us. Yes. And he says, Father, I want them to be with me, uh-huh. to use your word earlier, uh-huh. with where I am. Like, yes. What do we learn about God when we realize he wants something with us that we want with him? Uh, first of all, I think that's so amazing to even have a conversation about just that one thing. Like you think, think about listening to that prayer, thinking on the heels. This whole thing started in the upper room four chapters earlier. Yeah, right. The Last Supper and the washing the disciples' feet and Judas, and all the and then and then Jesus spends the better part of three chapters, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, talking about I'm going to be with you in ways you literally really can't even imagine. It's called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's going to be the perfect parent. He's yeah. going to walk alongside you, guide you into truth, convict you of sin. Like, guys, this is so good. How much I want to be with you. Yeah. And then, you know, in this and, world, and like actually live in you. Yeah, like I'm not going to be. I'm talking to Matthew and Simon over here, yeah. and Peter. You're out of luck, but yeah. not not when this happens because yeah. it's it's everyone all the time. It's when I'm having you. It's interesting because uh, I think a lot of times we're curious. Like we would ask the disciples, like, "Hey, what's it like to walk with Jesus?" And then I, I think probably if we're there, they, they uh, on some level would be like, "I wonder what it's going to be like when he's walking in me, yes. when he's in us." Uh-huh. Like what the heck? So anyway, uh-huh. keep going. That's exactly I right. Make a point. Yeah. And so Jesus uses this very parental language for the better part of three chapters. Like, I'm, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be in you, I'm going to indwell in you, and it, it, guys, it's a better it's deal beautiful. with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And then he ends by saying, in this world is going to be trouble. Not maybe, not like, hey, if you're really nice boys, mm-hmm. nothing will happen to you, be fine. He mm-hmm. doesn't say that at all. And I've overcome the world, and as part of the evidence of that, nothing has changed in the mind of God as evidence of that. I'm going to be in you yeah. when that comes. And then he prays the prayer we're talking about in John 17, that to be with you. And so that even that prayer that at least John captured, you know, word for word, as best we can tell, that Jesus is praying. And think about how often there's this great quote. It's in Chip's book, Voice of the Heart. I've heard it in other, other uh, places, publications. It says, children are not afraid of the dark. Children are afraid of the dark alone. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. Jesus is saying, like, you're going to be in the dark, and you're never going to be alone. I'm going to be with you. Mm-hmm. And just think about those words, like someone says to me, hey, I'm Nathan, I'm in your corner. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm on your side. Yeah. We have the God of the universe. Way back, Genesis 1, and we got that God. 
uh, indwelling in us. And so that with becomes so, so rich. Mm. And Jesus is praying and saying, I want them to be with me Mm. where we are. And so you think about just the ramifications in terms of attachment and connection and the functional anthropology that just comes out of that one thing. What Mm. would I do if I knew he is with me? What Mm. would I say differently? How would I act differently? What would I truly care about? Duke, I've heard you talk about, and I've preached, seems like a million sermons too, that idea of looking at myself, doing this and that. What if I were just free of that yeah. mm-hmm. as much as I can be because he's with me relationally? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. And I love that it's it's relational and not propositional. Mm-hmm. So God is not a series of propositions. He's an actual person. That's right. A ser- community of persons, triune, who wants to be with me, yeah. has expressed that desire to his own Father in Christ, and now made it possible mm-hmm. uh, by the Spirit ongoing. So, mm-hmm. man, that's that's good news. Um Let's let, maybe wrap this episode up, Nathan, because um, we do know about the Baylor Longitudinal Study on how people emotionally image God, yeah, and yeah. the most dominant emotion that people attribute to God is anger yeah, or wrath. That's right, yeah. uh, how do we square the wrath of God with people who are saying, hey, there are some passages that really lead me to believe he's kind of pissed. Uh, what do we do with that, and how do yeah, we square it? Two things. One, we have to understand, again, what the Scriptures are, um, that just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean, I mean, sometimes you hear people say this, like, well, it's in the Bible. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of stuff in the Bible that's horrible. Like, it's reporting on thing. It's reporting on sin in a fallen world, right? Like, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to understand that um, God is dealing with humanity, and it's really messy. I mean, some of the audience knows uh, just from, you know, previous stories, and and uh, some, some of y'all listen to the Equipping Podcast, um, that I was a, that I'm a veteran, I'm an army veteran, and uh, two deployments in Afghanistan. And part of that, uh, part of those deployments is just combat. I mean, you're just in an active fight, kinetic. We're shooting at the enemy; the enemy shooting at us. People are blowing up and getting shot and all that stuff. And so you look at that and you're like, um, you're like, that's really messy. Like that's not good. Um, you look at it and you go, yep. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, as somebody who's been there, done that, lived it, I'm telling mm. you, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Mm. Um, however, um, when whenever evil exists in the world, any force for good that steps into that mess is stepping into a really messy situation mm-hmm. to work for good, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes working for good is eliminating threats, like uh, doing away with, a to use a uh, mix in metaphors, but to use a surgical or a medical deal, like there's a cancer there, and that cancer needs to get cut out, mm-hmm. you know. And when you when you're cutting on the patient, um, if the patient doesn't have any understanding of the broader uh, uh, reality of what's going on, then all they know is you're cutting on me and this hurts. <laughs> like, <laughs> stop it! How can you be good? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And and in reality, what the Lord is doing is He is He's He's appropriately meeting uh, threats to the to the ultimate good of His people, and He's 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 eliminating those threats at some point. And some points He's removing the threat and putting it somewhere else uh, for the threat's own good. Right? I mean, when you look at uh, Genesis 15, mm-hmm. where the Lord's like, "Hey, I'm in, I'm in, I'm giving these people 400 years to repent, right? Like, so y'all are going to go off into Egypt." And I'm going to keep you there because I'm, I'm long-suffering with these people over here, right? That's what he says in Genesis 15. And so, like, the Lord is constant. He's taking a very uh, complicated 
sinful, broken world, and he is entering into it and and laboring with it, and it's just messy. Yep. And sometimes it looks like the Lord going, "Hey guys, um, if I was to allow the uh, to take an Old Testament example, uh, the rebellion with the sons of Korah, if I was to allow that to just like go unchecked and like not." deal with that at all, like, you're going to completely misunderstand who I am, mm-hmm. how I operate, what, like, and, and that's a fast track to pay the paganism that they had been in the whole time. Yep. And so he's training his people, right, which involves the earth opening up and swallowing people. It, it, it involves uh, plagues breaking out. It involves, like, things like this because it's, it's his loving way of going, hey, um, I am ultimately working for your your ultimate good. Mm-hmm. And you may not understand that right now, just like a, pa- a uh, just like a patient may not understand the, the incision point to remove a tumor, but I'm just telling you that's what's going on. And you see that it, now, if you pluck that out, those, those, those instances out of context, not just contextually in the, within the book they're in, but within the covenant they're in, but within, and then within the entire mm-hmm. biblical meta narrative, mm-hmm. if you pluck them out and just look at them, then yeah, like God's totally volatile. He's reactionary. He's you know he's just pissed. And you're like, eh, I know I have to appease him, or that's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And it's the way we started the podcast, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's why I have so much like healthy anger to go. No, no, no. We have to understand the entire biblical meta narrative because when you see those things within the the broad story of what God is doing in the world. Uh, the German word is a cool word. It's the Heilsgeschichte. <laughs> My favorite. I make so much money for seminary. I do that in, just in talks, period. I just say Heilsgeschichte Heils because you just have to, right? <laughs> it means like story. Uh, but I'll say Heilsgeschichte. But, but it's the, the Heilsgeschichte is, the, is, is the, the history of salvation of God with his people o- over generations and millennia, right? When you look at that, then, then what becomes obviously clear is, oh, he really does love. He really loves us. He really loves us. He, he created us to be folded into the Trinitarian totally. reality, and when that got severed or, or ruptured, he was totally willing to, at great cost to himself, restore it and to pray prayers like, I want them to be with me yep, where I am. That's right. Now, yeah. we have to acknowledge that not everybody is going to be with him where he is, and that's the real tragedy, mm. right? It truly is. I mean, just even now, just saying it, my my chest, I'm checking in. Like My chest gets heavy, uh-huh. um, and I'm like, man, it's a... Um, the wrath of God is real, and the wrath of God is against um, injustice and unrighteousness. Um, because if God doesn't finally and fully intervene, then he, he can no longer be good. Right. right. Because it's like, hey, somebody fix the brokenness. Mm-hmm. And the wrath of God really is uh, it's an extension of his love. Because if his love is finally and fully pursuing the highest good of the beloved as far as it could be obtained. Well, what is what does the love of God look like for somebody who will not be loved? Mm-hmm. Who who will not no matter what and will not stop oppressing. Exactly. That's yeah. right. Like yeah. what what does it look like then? Well, then it looks like wrath. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So really the wrath of God is the love of God toward an object mm-hmm. that has made itself an object of wrath because it will not be loved. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so even then, people like to pit wrath against love. It's like, nope, it's the same thing expressed in a different situation for someone who refuses to be loved. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, we have to say, yes, God does have emotion. He has a whole spectrum of emotion. 
But as Phil said earlier, um, all of his emotion is driven and sustained and completed by the reality that God is ontologically in his essence love. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, with that, we'll wrap up this episode of the Ever Present Podcast. Uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the pathway to connection. How do you actually walk a path that results in deeper connection with God, yourself, and others? We'll break it down in a way that I think will be simple enough for you to understand how to walk it yourself. Uh, that's really why we're here. We're here to serve you. Uh, we believe you're being created by this relational God we've been talking about. And uh, your connection with him and with others really matters. So with that, close it down. Thanks for listening to the Ever Present Podcast. If this resource has been helpful to you, we would ask that you share it with your friends. Leave a comment on the podcast platform and help get this resource into the hands of other people. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at podcast at edenteam.org. And now as you go throughout the rest of your day, just remember that God's posture toward you is strong, persistent, and positive. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.